Last night, we looked at chapter 4. Tonight, I want to move us into chapter 5 as we look at this into a, a passage I think is, is some, sometimes often not just misunderstood, but maybe sometimes avoided. And, uh, and, I, and I can understand, in a sense, why we have such a massive movement uh, in the culture of our world of what we would call a charismatic movement. And uh, there are some, some books that I think are helpful. There's one that's out there called Charismatic Chaos. It was kind of from a long time ago. There's another one um, that's out there, um, and it's called Strange Fire that can be an encouragement or help in these realms. But I say this to say there's a lot of things done and, and, and done in the name of the Spirit of God that really have nothing to do with the Spirit of God. And so tonight, as we look at this passage, I want to read verse 18 of Ephesians 5. It says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Tonight, my prayer would be that we would be challenged when it comes to to know what it means to be filled with the Spirit, but then also that we would be people dependent upon and, and actually being people who are actually spirit-controlled. And that would be an amazing thing. It would affect all areas of our life. And um, so this is my prayer tonight for each one of us as we consider gospel ministry and what God has called us to. Let's pray and ask God's help, okay? Father, thank you so much for our friends. Again, I thank you for all that you do. I thank you for how you stir our hearts. I thank you for the focus even in on parenting uh, this week. I thank you for... Uh, the teen function that's been going on, and the kids' ministry as the ministry of the word is happening. I pray, God, that you would, you would stir these children and you would bring children to Christ, that you would give them a greater hunger and thirst for the scriptures and for truth. Um, so God, use that program. But now, Lord, as we are in here focusing in as with adults on the scriptures, I pray that you would use the word of God to stir our hearts or that we would be spirit-controlled, spirit-filled listeners, and that you would bless us. Thank you so much, God, for all that you can do in our hearts and our lives tonight. If there's somebody here without Christ, Lord, reveal that to their heart. May they repent of their sins and trust in you alone. So, God, we thank you for all that you're going to do. Lord, use this, not just for tonight, but for even ongoing results in our spiritual life. May we see you work in us. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. If you notice this passage of scripture, as we kind of get into this, it was interesting. It was a number of years ago where I was traveling, and it wasn't the semi. Like now, I've had the semi for like 10-something years. But uh, it was before that. I had, a, I had a Ford F-350, and it was a dually. Um, and we were in southern Florida. And I remember being at this week of meetings. Actually, we were traveling with the, with the Pettits at the time. And there was a guy in the church who was, the, who was, um, who was related to the pastor. He's the pastor's brother. And he worked construction, and this guy kept talking about his truck. He was saying, and he said to us, you guys got to ride in my truck. And he kept inviting us to ride in his truck. Well, again, that's a little bit weird, because in one sense, I'm like, we ride in trucks all the time. Like, what's the big deal? You know, but he says, no, but you got to ride in my truck. That was kind of his, his encouragement. Well, anyway, he kept saying this all during the week. So we felt like on Friday, you know, okay, we need to flatter the guy and just ride in his truck, because if not, we're going to make enemies, probably, you know, so we... We decided to go ahead and do this. Well, we get in his truck, and it was a nice truck at the you know at the time. It's like it was a King Ranch. It was like the special edition cowboy style leather, you know, just just really kind of a neat looking truck. Well, anyway, we get in the truck, and and I remember um, we're starting to drive down the road, and he's kind of chuckling to himself, like he's kind of like 
then we're like, what is going on? And he gets to the point where he goes on the entrance ramp of the highway, and when he did, he put the pedal to the metal, I'm telling you. And we were all thrown back into our chairs. We're like holding on to everything around us. And that thing is shifting and, and moving so fast and to the point where he's you know, on the highway, and we're going the speed limit, and he then cruises at the speed limit because he went <clears throat> all the way to the speed limit and kind of just cruised there. And I remember looking at him saying, what in the world do you have in your truck? Because your truck does something my truck doesn't do. Now, granted, I'm, you know, I'm pulling up at the time, I'm pulling about 22,000 pounds, so it's heavy. But still, I'm like, something's, and, and he started laughing, and, and he actually told us, you know, and I'll tell you in a bit what he said. But it's interesting as I say this, I think about, have you ever seen a Christian's life that's characterized by power? You know, in one sense, maybe you could say by the power of God. You, you think about a believer. Now, I'm not talking about a perfect Christian. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. You understand that. But a Christian who seems to be submitted to the scriptures in their everyday life, that God's affecting them on a consistent basis through the word of God. And, and instead of them living in life-dominating sins, they're, by God's grace, seemingly rising above. They're seemingly, and not that they don't sin. Again, they do, but there's an element of them not, not delving that way. It's, it's they're, they're wanting to see God work in them and through them. It would be a person also when you think about a person maybe even witnessing to somebody and, and they seem to have opportunities or they make opportunities. It's, and it's genuine out of a heart and life that really follows the Lord. It's, it's like a, maybe you could say again, boldness maybe in some of that witnessing. And I would say this is, you could say the list could go on and on of the word of God constantly at work within your heart and life. But really what I'm speaking about tonight is I want to speak to you on this subject of the spirit-filled life. And so I think there's a lot of confusion in this, in this realm. But here in Ephesians 5, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the one writing and clearly under the inspiration of the spirit. But he speaks to us on the subject of the spirit-filled life, and he would be the one to teach us. I mean, if you, if you really study out the life of the Apostle Paul, his life was characterized by real power. And I would look at you tonight and simply say, if you want a life that's characterized by real power or the power of God, then you must be spirit-filled. But what does that even mean? So tonight as we begin to kind of delve into this thought process, and maybe this is a reminder to you, again, maybe you understand this passage, but let's look into this carefully because in verse 15 it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So it, it, now remember, when you're talking about the walk, it is talking about the conduct, walking very carefully in, in your spiritual life. As you consider this, you think of a person in a physical realm who would walk carefully, I would say that would be a military guy or girl who is walking in a minefield. They know there's landmines there. How would they walk they would walk very, very carefully, okay? Or some of you might have friends, you know, and they, they, they maybe are, you know, have cattle or something like that, you know? And so you go out in the field and, you know, there's cattle now in the field. How would you walk there? Well, you would walk carefully as well because you might step in one of their landmines, if you understand what I'm talking about. And so, you know, so you would be careful. And this is the scripture challenging the believer to to walk or conduct their life, not in an unwise way, but in a wise way. Notice verse 16, making the best use of the time. I like as one would say, redeeming the time. 
Why? Because the days are evil. To make the most use is to buy back the time that God has given you, not to waste time, but we live in evil days, so let's not waste this. I think of even as teenagers in this room, there's an element in my own life as a teenager where God's just stirring me. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what am I doing and I, maybe it's sometimes with, with an upper teens where you start really considering, like, man, what about my life? And do you really want to waste your life? I mean, you don't have, know how long you have to live. And so I think about teenagers, I think about kids, I think about anyone who's in Christ. We should be considering, wait a second, I don't want to waste this. I want to buy back the time. Then it says in verse 17, therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be a fool, but seek to know the will of God in your life. This is really good stuff. You look at verse 18, and what's part of the will of God for your life? Well, it's right here. It's laid out right there in verse 18. And then you look at it closely, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You could say, number one, if you're taking any kind of notes tonight, simply is this, number one, God commands all believers to be Spirit-filled. That's a command from God. As we look at it even closely, it's interesting as it's commanded, um, it's what we would call in the, in the Greek language simply an imperative. It, it's like clearly a command. I mean, God has given this to us because it's a command. It's a, well, a non-negotiable for believers. God's commanding you to do this. And as you dig into the word, and sometimes I'm a little word nerd, you know, in that sense, but I'd say when you dig into that, it's interesting because it's not just a command, but it's, a, it's, it's actually in the present tense, which is an ongoing command, which you say, well, Jeremy, what, what does that even mean? Or why, why do I care? Well, you do care because here's what that means. It's not just a one-time command in the past that God tells you to do. It's an ongoing, moment-by-moment command that you would be filled with the Spirit consistently. Now, if it's commanded and you're not doing it, if God gives you a command and you're not doing it, what do you call that? You call it sin. See, sometimes we look at Scripture and we think of, you know, oh, you know, well, I'm not committing adultery, you know. Uh, I'm not stealing, you know. You know, you kind of you look at all these different things, maybe the Ten Commandments of all the negatives, but here's a positive command that all believers at every moment should be controlled by the Spirit. Now, as you consider this, you go, wait a second, that's, that's interesting. In other words, you could even read this, be constantly being filled with the Spirit, or be consistently, moment by moment, being controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, this is different from, from when you get saved, because when you trust Christ, what happens? The, the Spirit of God comes and resides in you. He lives in you. And actually, you're sealed to the day of redemption, as we even read last night. So you can't lose the Spirit if you really have the Spirit of God in you, if you're in Christ. That's a great blessing. But this is different from that. This is that now saying the controlling aspect should be the Spirit of God in your life, and God is commanding all believers to be filled with the Spirit. So if you are here tonight and you're not filled with the Spirit, guess what you're doing? You're actually living in sin. And that kind of goes, oh, whoa, that's a little bit, well, maybe you didn't think through it that way. But if we're not obeying the scriptures, that's sinning. 
And we need to really consider this passage. I think is a very key passage for us as believers because go even further within that. I would say not just that God commands all believers to be spirit-filled, but number two, the results of being spirit-filled are actually evident. There's evident signs if you're really filled with the spirit. What does that mean? Okay, now, interesting as you look at verse 18 closer, it says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now, maybe at first glance, you might think, oh, this is about drinking and non-drinking. And I would say when you read the passage in its context, that's really not the thrust of the passage. Now, obviously, there's a negative command. Don't get drunk. I mean, you want to destroy your life and have a debauched life, then, then that's how you do it. Don't get drunk. Okay, sure. Okay, I think we can get that. Um, it's interesting as you think of our culture. Uh, in the past, like Super Bowl or the best commercials back in the day, remember, it's like, it's like they were the, the beer commercials, the alcohol commercials, you know? And it's interesting because it's like, you know, they're the best looking people, kind of idea, kind of drinking it up. Because, you know, if you drink a lot, you're going to be chiseled and really good looking. <laughs> um, and they don't ever show the opposite, do they? Like they don't say, hey, look at this. And then they, they, they pan out to, to a person laying on the street, you know, in, in a downtown area who's passed out in their drunken puke. They don't show that. Um, I remember being in our downtown area before in South Carolina. I'm talking to a guy about the Lord, and, and he looks at me, and he, he says, with tears, and he was drunk as I'm talking to him. He, you could tell he's just clearly alcohol all over his breath, and, and, um, and he said that. He goes, I, I've lost everything. My, 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 my marriage, my kids, uh, I can't hold a job. I live on the streets. And I live for my next sip of alcohol. He's in tears talking about this. Interesting, when a person's controlled by alcohol, it can be very sad like that. It can actually sometimes even be comical. I mean, you've seen people maybe that, that clearly, they're like, oh man, you know, they're, they're toasted. You know, they're, they're drunk. And, and, um, and I remember, um, you know, a time where we, I was in college and we're, we thought, hey, it'd be funny to do a skit, and we thought, let's 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 do this skit thing. Let's let's film it. And 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 what's crazy is it was you know when I was in college, it was in the, the mid '90s or early '90s, you know. And um, so what's interesting is that you know we're having a big a big camera, you know, because <laughs> like, now you just take your phone out, you know, it's really bad and it's way better quality. But anyway, we had this big film thing, and we we said let's make a funny skit. Let's actually make like a storyline, and and we we called it a like a hobo's Christmas. The idea was like, you know, a person loses his job. He actually, um, you know, becomes like, we're living on the street, but then later gets back his job. And it was a, and it was a, it was comedy. It was like, and we're just, I mean, we're totally making up as we go along, literally every scene, you know, it's like, it's, and that's even makes it more funny for a group. It's for a group of guys, but that'd be funny. And um, so we're doing this and, and in the midst of us filming this, this stupid video, in a sense, a girl stumbles outside of a bar in downtown Greenville, South Carolina, and she says, hey, hey, give me on your film. Give me on your film. Okay, now to translate that for you northerners, she said, get me on your film, get me on your film. Okay, that's what she was saying, but in her southern way. Okay, just so you know, I wasn't sure. And, um, 
I'm a redneck, so I can say, you know, anyway. So, uh, but here's, so she's saying this, and it's like, I mean, she couldn't stand on her own two feet. I mean, she's like, you know, you know stumbling everywhere. And, and you're like, how foolish she looked. And we're like, no, you know, we, we left that, that area. But as I think about this, I, I think of how Scripture is warning you in verse 18, but the warning of don't get drunk, and that is a command as well, for that leads literally to debauchery or to a ruined life. That's a reminder to us, but it's also an illustration, isn't it? Because when you look at the second part of the verse, but be filled with the Spirit. When you think of a person who's controlled by the alcohol, what happens? It actually affects them. Maybe they're really in, inhibited initially, but now all of a sudden they're boisterous and they say things. You know, I'm going to beat your head in. The guy's like, you know, five one to a six foot four guy, you know, like this. And he's, but he's, he doesn't, he's, he's not with it. And so, but you consider a, a person then controlled by the Spirit of God. And I think that there may be a better way of putting it because when you think about a person who's filled with rage, what do they do? They smash things and break things. But a person who, in one sense, you could say is now filled with or controlled by the Spirit, they act a different way. And you look at this closely and you start, you start seeing it illustrated. In verse 19, giving us really the, the results. Now, I can also tell you when I, when what's interesting when you look at this passage, when you see verses 19 and 20 and even 21 and then even going beyond within the passage, interesting that it doesn't talk about some of the things that the religious culture sometimes does. When I say that, as I tell people, if you want to be really, really confused in your spiritual life, then, then watch religious television. <laughs> because there's a lot of things that are in the name of religion or the name of Jesus even or the Spirit of God or, you know, um, that, that clearly are not, uh, have anything to do with biblical truth, you know. So I say that within a culture. I remember in the, in the 90s, I do remember um, uh, something that was, that was on major headline news consistently, and I actually did it like a dateline about it, and it was something called Holy Laughter or the Laughing Revival. And the idea was the preacher's preaching, and then all of a sudden, here's people in the, in the auditorium that start laughing. You know, like at some point, someone starts laughing, and then, and then they get to the point where they're laughing, and it spreads, and everyone starts laughing, and pretty soon everybody in the whole thing, to the point where even the pastor's laughing. And then there are people laying on the ground, rolling and laughing. And then, I mean, all this was filmed. You could watch this. And I remember seeing this whole, like, you know, this documentary about the holy laughter and the laughing revival that was spreading across America. You know, and man, we're good spreading it, spreading it. We spread it down into Mexico, up into Canada a little bit, you know. But it's like this thing called the laughing revival, and just people laughing the whole time, and you know, and and rolling on the ground in their church laughing. But the problem is, you look at that biblically and say, where do you see that? And if a person's really going to come to Christ, I mean, the truth is, should they be laughing? I mean, the truth is, if they don't understand their own sin and come under great conviction of sin, I mean, the truth, they should probably be crying. I mean, if they really realize what, what they are before God and how much they need Messiah, there's an element of going, man, I, I need help. It's so serious. But you think of a culture and a world saying, no, that's the spirit of God. It's, and, then you, and then you go in our modern day and, you, and you've got all kinds of stuff, like healing ministries. We kind of talked about that the other night, you know, and just the phoniness of that. 
Um, and, and, and you go beyond the healing ministry. I think it was one modern day faith healer some years ago was raising money to build a hospital. Did you catch what I just said? You're like, if you're any good, why don't you go to the hospitals and relieve people? But you live, we live in a culture where it's so phony. I'm not saying that God can't heal. God can do those things. But my question is, where is the gifted healer that goes from one area of the world and whatever and can heal at will? And you see Jesus do this. And he said, well, people didn't have enough faith or something. That's why they didn't get healed. Well, Jesus often healed people. Some people didn't seem to have any faith and he healed them. I mean, you, you think the guy in the, in the, in the garden, you know, as, as the garden of Gethsemane, you know, is happening. And then sure enough, like, you know, he gets his ears sliced or sliced off and Jesus heals that. Was that guy, was it just because he had great faith? <laughs> Clearly not. So you kind of look at that and say, is it healing? Because nothing about this passage which tells you to be filled with the Spirit addresses healing. Nothing addresses uh, speaking in tongues within our modern day. You have that that's, that's so prevalent and prominent and, and maybe that's what needs to happen. Maybe, you know, where, where is everyone speaking in tongues and why aren't they? One, one teenager was, was asking me this at, at camp and uh, wasn't at Northland, was down at the wilds. It's interesting, but he said, I... He said, you know, what's wrong with praying in tongues? And, um, and he was asking a question. We had to kind of work through scripture of different things. But he's saying, you know, I pray to edify, my, to edify myself, you know. And what, what are you saying? Well, I don't know. You know, so then there's no interpreter? No. You know, like it's interesting to consider what people think through this. And I'm going, well, here's my question. If it really is that prominent in the very prominent later style of passage that tells you to be controlled by the Spirit and shows you evident results, wouldn't it be there? Oh, you should be speaking in tongues. Then you begin to consider what is biblical tongues. They're they're literal languages. And what's amazing, you see in Acts chapter 2, it talks about this, how they hear the very word of God in their own tongue from where they were born, and then it lists all the places in in Acts chapter 2, verses 7 through like 11. And so you're seeing this as literal languages, and you look at our modern day, and you watch television, you see these tongues going on, and you're like, what kind of gibberish is that? I like as one guy told me one time, I said, what what were you saying, you know, as as I heard this? And he says, well... He, he said it was a heavenly language with groanings that can't be uttered. He was using a, a biblical verse. And I said, well, my question then, if it can't be uttered, then how are you uttering them? You know, because that sounded like gibberish. It didn't sound like any kind of language, and there was no, there's no interpreter. Like, everything about this is, is unbiblical. So you look at this and say, okay, then what is it then, Jeremy? I mean, if it's evident results, what, what do the results look like? And if you notice verse 19, it says this, addressing one another... In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. You look at this and it's going, interesting, okay, what are psalms? These are the literal psalms. I mean, hymns seem to be, seem to be exalted towards God and who God is. Spiritual songs, maybe, maybe testimonial in one sense, a little bit different, but yet all synonymous. But the idea is they're, they're doing this one to another, and they're also doing this, making melody to the Lord with all their heart. What is it speaking of? And I think as you begin to look at, at, at the parallel passage in Colossians, you start to find that, that, that as you look at the Spirit-controlled person, there are fruits of the Spirit, and one of those fruits of the Spirit is the fruit of joy. And what you see here, I think, is, what you, is a person who is joy-filled, 
I mean, you, you look at this, addressing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all their heart. I mean, this is an element of personal and before God. It's just a, a joy-filled person. And then you go even beyond that of, of joy, you have even thanksgiving in verse 20. I mean, giving thanks always and for everything to the God our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, a thankful spirit, a, a thanksgiving. And then verse 21, submitting to one another in the, in the reverence for Christ. So when you consider this, you go, okay, so joy. What's the opposite of joy? Maybe discouragement? Despair? Emptiness? Then what's interesting is I think sometimes what we do is we take joy and we and we, we it seems like we we make joy and happiness the same thing, and they're not. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness deals with your circumstances. Circumstances are really good, man, you're up, you know. But if they're really bad, then you're down, okay? And that's happiness. Okay, again, you go to the doctor and they tell you, hey, you got a clean bill of health. The test results have come back and you got a clean bill of health. And you're like, that's awesome, you know, man, it's exciting. And they say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And you say, well, I'm not really doing anything. Well, then keep it up. You're okay. You know what I'm just telling you? And you're like, yeah, that's great. But you could go to the doctor and they say the test results have come back and you need to come in right away. You have cancer and it's serious. I mean, oh, well, talk about, you know, and that could be the same thing. You could be called into to work and you're thinking, you know, as you're, you're working and you're all of a sudden you're called into the office and the, and the boss says, I got to talk to you for a moment. And he could say, hey, things are going really well, you know, economically with our, with our you know, with the workplace here. And, and so we want to pass it down, you know, to, to the workers. And so I just want you to know you're going to get a $20 an hour raise starting this afternoon. And, you know, and you're like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of cool, you know. But you could go into the office and they could say, uh, uh, we have to let you go. So you look at all these things. Now, I say that to say, you know, in, within the church, his pastor kind of showed us around the church. He was kind of letting us see some things. And he said, hey, when you guys come in and you're working during the daytime stuff here, just so you know, on the wall over there is a is a, is a thermostat right here. And you can, you can kind of just adjust those things as, as need be, you know. Thanks, pastor, you know. And, and uh, so, and here's one in this room, here's the here. You're kind of just kind of showing us around a little bit that. I love thermostats way more than thermometers, okay? Because a thermometer, if the room is hot, what does it do? It just raises up and shows you that it's hot. And if it's cold, it lowers down. It doesn't really help you. I mean, except for you know what it is, but you're like, eh, or you know, like that. Now it's like a thermostat, if it's hot, now I can just kind of I can all of a sudden lower the temperature and the AC kicks on. It sets the temperature. That's what the thermostat does. And it's almost like the same thing. When you think of a person who's controlled by the spirit, there's an element of a, it's, it's not like the thermometer. It's like the thermostat. It's like there can be really bad things happening, but it's like it sets the temperature. And so joy is different than happiness through hard circumstances. I, I, I think of, I think of a, a death of a girl in our, in our youth group some years ago. It's like I, was, I had just finished working as a youth pastor and was launching off, in a sense, towards itinerant and evangelism. I was, and I was traveling with Steve and, and a guy named John Kopp who had worked with us in the summers at Northland was becoming really the guy underneath me and working at this church uh, as, a, as a youth pastor. And John... 
calls me after just like, I don't know, a little bit into the summer, and he says, Jeremy, I just want you to know, Rebecca Winkler just uh, died today. I said, what? She was a 16-year-old girl from our youth group. And I said, what in the world? And he said, well, this morning, she was on her way to work, probably around nine o'clock in the morning, and another vehicle like starts to come into her lane. She starts to slow down and move off to the side even, but this other vehicle hits her like head on. She, at that point, calls her mom and dad, calls her parents uh, in the car, um, and she said, the rescue workers are here. I've been in a bad accident. They're taking me to this hospital. She, they said, are you okay? She goes, I, I think so. I don't see any blood anywhere, but my stomach hurts really bad, and they're taking me to this hospital And so the parents rushed over there, met their daughter, talked to her for moments, but they knew something was wrong. The the, the doctors didn't, and were rushing her into an emergency surgery to see what was really happening. And as they rushed her into this emergency surgery, as they began to open her up, she was just filled with internal bleeding. Within moments, she was dead as a 16-year-old. We got permission to leave at some point to go to that funeral. And I remember in line, and I'm, I'm getting ready to come up to Jack and Mary Lou and um, parents, and I, I, you know, I'm trying to think of how can I encourage them, and, um, and I get closer and closer, and I, it's an open casket, and, and I see Rebecca, and, and, um, and then as I start to talk to Jack for just a moment, I, I just lose it. I just start weeping. And Jack, the father who loves his 16-year-old daughter, I mean, loved her. Is, is hugging me and Misha and Mary Lou. They're hugging us and they're, and they're telling us it will be okay. She is in a better place. She was a believer. She is in glory. We'll, we will see her again. And I said, I get that. I know. It's just not supposed to happen like this. I'm so sorry. But I think of the encouragement that they were giving to us and I know how much they love their daughter. Which, interesting, they had a joy through the midst of a horrible circumstance. And they, to this day, work through that. And that's something you'll never just kind of get away from you, in a sense, really. But as I think about this, is joyfulness. And I would ask this question, are you joyful? I mean, like, you know, maybe when I say that, everyone smiles, you know, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I think about the whole idea of joyfulness, you know, too, it, it is interesting, you know, because we sing songs and, you know, we, our faces sometimes get all wrinkly, you know, and they're like, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, you know, we're like, where, you know, <laughs> I mean, if it really was here, it wouldn't it show up here, you know, and I get it, as the older we get, our faces kind of get, you know, saggy, you know, <laughs> that happens, you know, um, but as a believer, who's controlled by the Spirit, there should be a joy about us. Are you joyful? You go beyond that, thankfulness. I mean, giving thanks, he tells us. And what's interesting about that, it says always. You know, wait, wait, wait a second. How are you be, how are you be thankful for a death of a loved one or, or maybe a, a loss of a job or cancer or COVID or whatever it may be, you know, that, that seems to plague you in a sense? You know, how can we be joyful for that or thankful for that? But it's interesting giving things always, and he's not done speaking. He says, and for everything. 
We should be thankful always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a sense of a gratitude attitude, a thankfulness. And again, this is another evident sign that someone's controlled by the Spirit. They're thankful, a gratitude attitude. You could say the opposite of being thankful is, well, complaining. And I would ask this question to you. Do you ever complain Got some honest people real fast. Yeah, right? <laughs> When's the last time you complained? Today. About what? You know, it's interesting what you complain. This weather is too hot, you know. It's too windy, you know. Uh, where's the cold, you know? I mean, and you know, my spouse, my kids, you know, my parents. I mean, it's amazing what you can complain about. This food or whatever. I mean, you can go down the line of whatever you think of. But I will tell you this, and again, asking that question, do you complain? The moment you complain is the moment you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're not controlled by the Spirit. Because if we were, we would have a gratitude attitude, even through the struggles. Think of complaining. It gets beyond complaining sometimes to anger. Maybe to held pent-up anger, bitterness even. And we look at this and go, is that really one of the fruits of the Spirit? As you see joyfulness and thankfulness. And then you see verse 21, it says submitting to one another in the, out of reverence for Christ. Submitting, that, that's like a military term where, where it's the idea of someone willing to place himself underneath somebody else. So there's this humility there. A, a humility that we submit ourselves, interesting, to one another. This is speaking of the church, the body of believers. We're willing to submit ourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. But then you think of the opposite of humility. What's the opposite? You would say pride. And then as you consider pride, you know, but by pride comes contentions or fightings. Do you ever fight? Is there any fighting going on within your household? Uh, you know, teenage parent, you know, to parents or brothers and sisters or, or again, parents to kids or, or, or you've got not just that, you've got just, just maybe mom and dad together. And then you've got realms where you can go outside of that. Consider your workplace, where you are. Consider your church. I mean, I, you would hope that there's such a unity. And, now, and Pastor, has it said anything to me? You know, but, but I'm telling you, I, it's interesting through the years to hear the horror stories of business, church business meetings, contentions. And it's like my way or the highway. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, literally churches do split over the color of the carpet. That's crazy. But the point is, is people get so caught up into their own realm, and it is my way or the highway. It's people wanting their own way. It's so self-seeking, which is so different than Christ. When you think about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, how it talks about how let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who literally, being in the form of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he's willing to re release and let go and condescend. He comes where? here, out of all places to the earth, you know, and yet among sinful people. I mean, everything Christ did, you see this humility consistently in his own life, even to the point of death on the cross. Talk about a humble way. Everyone seems to forsake him, and he's all alone, yet you want people to show up at your funeral, don't you? 
But you begin to consider Christ, and, and yet God then highly exalts him. And, 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 and so as you, as, you, as, you, as you go through that, you go, wait a second, are we like Christ, or are we like climbing the corporate ladder, you know? And you get near me and go, smash, you know? And I climb even more, you know? It's so different than, than Christ. And then again, you consider that. I could take you to Galatians 5. I'm not going to do that. But verses 16 to 25 speaks of, the, of what the Spirit looks like and the fruits of the Spirit versus even the fruits of the flesh. They're, they're different. But I wonder, are we, really, are we really exuding the fruits of the Spirit in our life? Are we really joyful, thankful, humble, which shows us right here? Which now brings me to the third point and the last point. Here we go, ready? Number one. God commands all believers to be spirit-filled. But number two, yes, the results of it are evident, and you can see them even right here in Scripture. But number three, there's a key here. There is something that if we're not careful, you can glance over and you may miss, okay? And so what is the key? And if you have tanked on me, I would say don't tank right now because I'm gonna give you the answer, you know. Here it is. Really, the key is full surrender. Or you could say, total yieldedness to the Holy Spirit of God. And you kind of say, okay, what do you sort of mean? What do you mean by this? Well, I will tell you this. First of all, this kind of power is for only true believers. If, if we're talking about the spirit-controlled life, really only true believers can experience this because Romans chapter eight um, speaks of this, verse nine, but it says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he's not his, so if you're here tonight and you don't have the, the Spirit of God is not in you, then you're not a child of God. But tonight, as I'm speaking to really many here, be children of God, you know, they, you have the Spirit of God in you. But let me say it this way. This kind of power comes through consistent yielding to the Spirit of God. Now, at first glance, we go back to verse 18 again. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Already I've told you this is... This is clearly a command. It's an imperative. It is in the present tense. It's an ongoing command that God has given to us. But interestingly enough, it, it's passive. You say, what is that supposed to mean? Well, the idea is because it's this way, you actually can't do it. Now, maybe you're looking at me tonight and going, whoa, 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 wait. Am I getting this right? Are you telling me that God's given me a command that I can't do? And I'm smiling and I'm saying, <laughs> yes. In and of yourself, you can't. In other words, what is it talking about? It's talking about you now yielding to the one who can, the Spirit of God who can do that controlling aspect or the, the, the filling aspect of there. So wait a second. Okay, what, what are you talking about? It's, it's like a believer saying, dear God, take my hands. I want to be used of you. And as I work today, you know, empower me in this, okay? It's like my mind and the things that I think about. I, I want to I think about things that please you. Would you control my mind? Will you control my, my heart, my attitude, my life, where I go even? My, I mean, where I walk and where, I mean, God lead me today. There's an element of dependence, constant yielding to the Spirit. Now, again, I think that kind of feels a little bit, it just kind of feels a little bit like, nebulous or it's out there. And so to get us some grip on this real quick, let's finish off this way. Go to Colossians chapter three. So you'll probably flip over for me. It's like, you know, three pages or something like that. But Colossians chapter three, and you get the answer here. Watch this in verse 16 in a very practical way. Colossians three sixteen. 
This is a parallel passage. And notice what it says here. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, the word of Christ, well, literally the words of Jesus. I mean, or you could simply say the scriptures. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, can I tell you this? The word of God does not find a rich dwelling place in a heart that's filled with sin. Maybe you've heard the old adage, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. When you think about the, the word of God, you think about the spirit of God finding a, a rich dwelling place, you know, the word does not find a good dwelling place with, with, uh, again, with I'm, I'm living in disobedience. And that's why it's interesting when you as a believer do get things right with God. I mean, I think about this guy, as I talked about in, the, in that pre-service, you know, that I met last night, interesting, you know, at Planet Fitness, you know, at like 11 o'clock at night, we're, you know, talking to this guy for like an hour, me and Jaden, and we're like, this is amazing, this conversation, just hearing what God is doing in this guy's life, it's, it's just, it's amazing, and um, so we're talking to this guy, and, um, and as, I, as I think about the scriptures, it's like he, he gets to that point where he, he confesses and forsakes sin, and it's like, man, the, I, he can't get enough of the scriptures, he reaches down in a backpack. This is a plan of fitness, okay? He's like behind the desk working, you know, with another guy too who's another believer. But he says this. He says, hey, i got to show you this. And he, he pulls out of the backpack his Bible. And he goes, you know, look at this. And then he says, not just that, watch this. And he pulls out a notebook and he starts to go to different things about on this notebook, things he's learning that God's showing him. He's writing all down. I mean, he's got the he's got the list of this stuff. You know, I'm like, this is so cool. He's been a believer since June, June like 4th or something like that, okay? And so he's, he's talking about this and, and he's got different kind of segments. He's highlighting stuff too. And he's just, I mean, the more he's communicating, I'm, and again, I hope he visits your church. If he does, it's a, you'll meet him. He's, it's a guy named Justice, okay? And, and uh, he's like a black dude with like some good dreads, you know, or whatever too. It just, but I'm telling you, it's amazing um, of what God is doing in his heart and his life. And um, I think about this, and he just, he gave evidences last night of saying, when I got things right with God, how the word came alive. Some of you read the Bible, and to you, the Bible is boring. And I want to remind you tonight, the Bible isn't boring. You're boring. The Bible is living. The truth is to the believer who's got a heart in tune and is seeking to remove sin and walk with God, the, the scripture comes, like, comes alive in us. God's working in us. And they're responding to it. And you're seeing if the word of God is dwelling in them richly, what will happen there in verse 16? What does it say? It says, teaching and admonishing one another in, in, in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. Like, what, wait a second. Are you catching what, I just, what that just is? That's like the same thing as the other passage. But the other passage says that you should be, well, filled with the Spirit. And here's the evident signs. Here, it doesn't say anything about being filled with the Spirit. It talks about being, really, you could say, filled with the Word of God. And the evident sign is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You're singing with wisdom. With thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness? Joy? Humility? Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Are you catching this, husbands? Don't get distracted by it. I know she's cute. <laughs> but, but are we? Are we really loving our wives? Are we really harsh towards them? Wives, is there submission out of reverence to Christ? Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, douloi, slaves, obey in everything those that are your earthly masters. Interesting, we would kind of look at that in our modern day and say, I mean, think about your own workplaces and what you do. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. I mean, you understand that, don't you? As a believer, some of you in your workplaces, do you really, are you really doing what you do to please people or are you really doing what you do to please God? And yet, that will be pleasing to the boss, wouldn't it? I mean, if you're really serving God and working hard, you're going to see that. And yet, not as people pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I mean, all of this is just a great reminder to say uh, that this is humility. A proud teenager will not submit to the parents because I know, mom and dad, I'm 15. And a proud wife will not submit to the husband. Or a proud husband won't submit to the Lord and there won't be a mutual submission even in the home with the family. And it's interesting how this destroys everything, but you're watching humility being played out and all of this is not telling you to be submitted to the Spirit, not in this passage. This passage tells you to be controlled by the Word of God and submitted to that, letting that dwell in you richly. So therefore, to be Spirit-filled... And to be word-filled are the same. They're the same. In other words, you can't have one without the other. Uh, one guy said to me some years ago, man, the guy had, had a university education, Christian university education. He said, you know, interesting, sometimes the Spirit of God tells me to do things contrary to the Scriptures, and you know, you got to obey the Spirit. No, actually the Spirit of God would never tell you to do anything contrary to Scripture because the Spirit of God and the Word of God go hand in hand. There, there is no contradiction. So in one sense, in a practical way, what does it mean to be Spirit-controlled? It means to be Word-controlled. It's a person who is Word-filled, who is consistently in the scriptures, hungering and thirsting after God, walking with him. Now, let me ask you this question. 
Is that you? Now, last night I kind of touched on it, but tonight I'm, I'm really focusing in harder to say, listen, if we're gonna affect a world around us for Christ, then we need to be affected by him on a consistent basis, con- constantly walking with him. So are we really spirit-filled or are we word-filled? Because I think sometimes we look at the whole spirit-filled stuff and go, okay, the word of God tells us, you know, spirit-filled, you know, if you got the fruit of the spirit, it's love and joy. So why don't I practice love today, you know? You know, maybe I'll say it a lot. Love, 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 you know, and I'll concentrate that way. You know, maybe I'll really concentrate, you know, love, you know, like that. And Well, the problem with that is, is you know, whoa, like it just happened, right? I'm like Dr. Love now. No, no it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And I think we're, tr- we're so sometimes working on trying to fill ourselves, and yet it's not you filling yourself with the Spirit. It's you submitting to the Spirit of God and letting, letting now the Spirit, in a sense, control you. As I use the word fill and control, I go back and forth. But watch this. Remember I said at the beginning about the guy with the truck. I said, what do you have in your truck? Okay, And the guy said, well... It's chipped out. I said, chipped out, what is that supposed to mean? And he said this. He said, well, you can buy a computer chip for your, for your truck. And he goes, and what will happen is, um, you know, you install it, and you get better fuel economy and more power in a diesel engine. And I said, wait, 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 wait. He says, I said, you don't, you, you don't get, I, started, I laughed at that when he said, I said, you don't get more horsepower and better fuel economy. Sure, you can get more horsepower, but you're gonna lose some fuel economy, you know? He says, no, I'm telling you, in a diesel engine, that's the way it does work that way. And I said, come on, you know? And I kind of walked away from that conversation just like, eh, I'm, you know, not sure. At that point, I actually, I, I Googled it, you know? Yeah, I searched it out. And what's interesting, um, and because you know everything on the internet's true, you, you, you know? <laughs> that's a joke, okay? <laughs> um, but I, I searched out, and I'm thinking, either a bunch of people are lying to me, you know, like consistently lying, or maybe there's something to this. So interestingly enough, I saved me some money. I think I did what any normal male would do. I, I saved me some money. I bought me one of those chips, you know, and I, I remember in my, my, my truck and the kind that, you know, I put it in the F-350, and I, I kind of plug it in, a make, model, year, whatever, and then it gave me options, three options. The first option was tow economy, and I'm like, that's what I want. <laughs> I want to tow better. I want better fuel economy. And so I remember pushing the button on that one. And when I did, I could hear the engine as it's running. I hear the engine go. It just sound a little bit different. And when I drove it, it was spunky. I mean, you could feel it kind of going, wow, this is, it's, it's, and then I'm watching the fuel economy before the chip, you know, if I'm driving it on its own without the trailer, maybe 15 on the highway, maybe. But now I was getting closer to 20 with the chip. Then I'm thinking pulling, you know, pulling is not good, you know. And so before the chip pulling, I would pull and maybe I'd get, I don't know, six to nine. Um, and then after the chip, I was watching, I was getting more like nine to 12. I mean, it literally within months, it did pay itself off. I'm thinking, that's amazing. Then it was over the summer. Um, and uh, one of the guys helping me at Pioneer Village, I said, hey, listen, I got to go on like a, about 20 miles from here on a run. You want to come with me? And so he said, sure. So he gets in the truck, but before he ever did, I was like, I want to see what this does. So I went and plugged it in, and I went down to the second level, then the third level. The third level was extreme, you know, and I'm like, okay. Now, I knew this. 
If you're going to ride it on extreme, you got to change out your exhaust. You got to put a breather in. I and mean, there's some things you got to let that engine breathe and stuff and, 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 and the flow through. But I, at this point, I'm like, hey, I'm going 20 miles. I'm just curious. So I hit extreme, and you could hear the engine as it's running. It gets like, I mean, it was a different level. And I'm barely touching things. I'm like, whoa, this thing is ready to move, you know? My friend gets in the truck, and we're, we're out there, and we're like, we finally get to the edge of 141, getting ready to go south, you know, uh, t- kind of towards Green Bay. And at that point, I said, hold on. And I pushed, I put the pedal to the metal. And I mean, I turned the corner. It's like, it's shifting so fast. I mean, it's like unbelievable, like black smoke kind of shooting out, you know? It's like, I mean, at that point, maybe it's straight diesel. I'm just like, but I'm like, it's flying. I mean, and I get to the speed limit, and then I cruise at the speed limit. And I look over at my friend, and my friend's like, he's like holding on to everything, you know? His, and his eyes were huge. And my friend looks at me and he goes, that was awesome. Bunch of kids, huh? And um, at that point, I, I remember checking out the, the fuel economy, and I still got better fuel economy in that little trip than I did before the chip. Now, my point is not this. I, did, I, don't, I don't sell the chip underneath the table. Hey, beat me afterwards. You know, I got a little, you know, I'm like sponsored or something. No. But the idea here is it's crazy to think about what that chip was doing because many of you know the name Will Galkin. He had the same truck, same make and model, year, everything, okay? And um, he, at one point, we were with Pettit's house and uh, kind of up near Northam before, and, and I was driving on this country road, and Will was behind me, and, as a, and Will pulls up beside me with his family, you know, we're, and we're like beside you on this road, like he's like he's going to pass me, and I just was like, I go, <laughs> and he knew I had the chip, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I like guess it just like covers Will with, you know, smoke or something to it, just, and we laughed, you know. Same truck, same engine, what's the difference? Well, one engine is yielding to the chip. It's obeying what the chip is telling it to do. And now because of that, it's more fuel efficient and has more power. Two Christians, they both, if they're Christians, they both have the spirit. But the question is, does the spirit have you? Are you submitting to the spirit of God the word of God in your life. Because as you do this consistently, what happens? You start seeing God at work in a unique way within you and through you. And when we let God work in us, guess what happens? He naturally starts working through us in a powerful way. And so it's it's not like we're we're looking for some kind of a you know mystical power. It's it's a person submitted to the scriptures in their life. Are, Are we doing this? And then you think of the overflow of joy and and thankfulness, humility. And you can go down the list of the fruits of the Spirit. And when you consider the fruits of the Spirit, could you imagine a marriage with two people that are are joy-filled, thankful, humble, and you go down the list of the fruits of the Spirit? I mean, what a marriage. I mean, think about a family this way with the teens and the parents acting the same. I mean, whoa, that would, be an, that would be an amazing family, huh? Think of a workplace where you go and sure enough, everyone's like, eh, eh, they don't pay us enough and all this stuff and negative. And then the believer's different and seems to rise above, seems to change the conversations. There's a joyfulness. They might even look at you and say, why are you, why are you so happy? You know, like, what's your problem? You know, and, you're like, and I'm not talking about a put on or a fake phony thing. I'm just talking about, in, in one sense, what are they seeing? They're seeing Christ in you. 
Because when you look at the Spirit of God in Scripture, the Spirit of God always points to Christ. What are you seeing here? You're seeing the element of of now Christ in you. Now, again, let me remind you, some of you, you may invite to the concert and they don't show up, okay? And I think sometimes it's like a 10 to 1 ratio. You know, you invite 10 people, one shows up. That's kind of maybe the norm. But there's an element where they might not show up. They might never read a Bible. But your neighbors, the people that know you, they read you every day. And you know what our world desperately needs to see? It desperately needs to see Jesus. May God help us to submit to the scriptures, the spirit of God, the word of God in our life. Let's pray tonight. Father, I want to thank you for all that you do. And Lord, even to speak a message like this is so personally convicting. Lord, at times where we can see such evident signs of you at work in us, and then to think how often we are not controlled by the Spirit, how we can be controlled by our flesh. God, if this is true in your word, which your word tells us it is, and you're commanding us to be controlled by the Spirit all the time, that means to us every time we're not, we're actually sinning against you, which reveals to us how often we sin against you every day just in this realm. So God, I pray that our heartbeat would be, dear God, forgive us for being flesh-filled and not spirit-filled. And then God, we wanna yield to you We want you to change us. We want you to use your word on a daily basis that our mind and hearts would be dwelling upon the scriptures and letting the scriptures find a rich dwelling place within us. Just as we read even last night that we would not grieve the spirit of God that seals us to the day of redemption, but we would submit ourselves to the spirit. So God, tonight, as you've taught us some truths, I pray that as these as the rubber meets the road over the next 24 hours and 48 hours and really the, the rest of our life, that we would humble ourselves in submission and obedience to the scriptures and to the spirit. So God, we thank you for what you're doing here. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, what an opportunity for us to respond to the Lord in what we've just heard. If God is dealing with you, I wanna encourage you that you would respond to the Lord. If you're here tonight and you're not in Christ and you don't have the spirit of God, please don't leave here without saying something to one of us. We wanna help. But I think many of us tonight in this room, knowing Christ um, and, and, and knowing the word, we, we long to be obedient to that. So will you, will you respond as we have a time now personally to think about this and dwell upon and have my wife play?